Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, today we have Kevin Blue joining us from sunny California. Kevin is a father of six, grandfather of eight, and a business owner. Welcome to the Brotherhood Kevin. Hey guys. It's really cool to have you. I know we've been kind of chatting back and forth for quite a while. So yeah, you're in California, uh, probably like the third most shut down state in the United States. So, well, it's, it's uh, very socialist. They call it the socialist Republic of California. Yeah. We're very, you know, highest taxed. Uh, we got a bunch of Karens here. That's like, you know, do this, do that. And, uh, I would like to leave. I have a business that I can, if I could find someone to run it, I could take it anywhere. I'm in high demand. So I would like to leave, but my wife's kind of stuck here being a teacher. She's only 50. She can't retire for another 13 years. Oh, wow. Plus her, her parents are still, uh, if she moves from where she works, she loses her tenure and her pension and her parents are up there and they still, you know, so, uh, they're still around. Yeah. That's a tough that's a tough, um, a tough scenario. I don't know how many listeners are dealing with this. I'm 47. My parents live in Oregon. Um, my in-laws live in Oregon. I live in Texas. Uh, our state is very uh, red, very, very conservative, moving more the uh, kind of middle just by people moving. But, um, and, and we did that on purpose. We, we moved to a place where the schools, very high level schools and the belief and government was in line with our own beliefs uh, coming from Oregon. It was a the massive change, uh, but it is really difficult. It was, it's been difficult to move away as, as you know, as your family ages and you want to be around. I spent last week hanging with my dad back in Oregon. Um, so I, I totally, I totally understand that. <laughs> Have you had friends move out of California just to simply get away? Oh, yeah. it? It's, it's, it's like, uh, Tons of friends, uh, the Denims, the Lefevers moved to Idaho. Uh, the Shibleys are on their way to probably Idaho. The Warleys are in Texas. Texas and Idaho are my two, my two target states. My wife loves Tennessee. Mm. I took her to Tennessee. We went to Graceland. She just loves it. And California is really, really red when it comes to the citizens. I mean, we're just, it's like, there's so many people here that are conservative. But everybody at the tippity top that's calling the shots are not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the saddest thing because, you know, when I was 18, as Ronald Reagan was president and I, and, and it was a lot different. We were very red back then, even when he was governor, I was a little bit, you know, I was younger, but uh, we used to be a very conservative state and then it just got flipped and it's really sad. Uh, Now they're talking about taxing every mile. I drive 16,000 miles a year in my work van. And they want to tax me on top of that. So, yeah, I've seen recently that the the gas tax in California has been outrageous. I think it's like a buck thirty a gallon. Yeah, I saw a dollar not too long ago, and I was telling my dad, and he's like, "You you what? What? When you have gas prices rising, and then you add a, you know over a dollar of gas tax per gallon, that's that's incredible." <laughs> well, they passed they passed this law where. Uh, you know, where they, now we can't vote for it. And, and the thing is I've been driving for 40 years or more 
and I'm driving over the same potholes I did as a kid and, and we're the highest tax. So the money never goes to where it's supposed to go. And that's the biggest problem with being overtaxed is it's like, you know, if you got one kid and you need to give him a hundred bucks and say, go to the store and get me, you know, a gallon of milk and you come back and there's 95 bucks. You're like, cool. And then you give the other kid a hundred bucks. You go give me a gallon of milk and come back and there's 30 bucks. You know, that's what, that's what's happening with our, you know, they're just spending money. That's not theirs to spend. You know, this, this crazy, have you heard about the bullet train? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, when I was in high school and our governor at the time, Jerry Brown, was doing it. So, so for, for over 45 years, this bullet train has been, a, you know, they're spending money and not, it's not, not anything's getting done. It's just, it's, it's really, in theory, it'd be nice to have, but it's like, man, if they would have built it 40 years ago, they could have been making money for 40 years. Yeah. Well, California's infrastructure for transportation is horrid. Um, there's been there's been efforts, and of course, you know, Elon had his efforts, and now he's exited, um, and that's not helping anything. I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast a couple months ago. I haven't listened to him for probably five months, but I was listening to him, and he was talking about his move to Austin, Texas, and he's like, "The traffic here is awesome," and I'm like, "Going from my perspective, the traffic in Austin is horrific," and I'm like, "How bad is LA? Like, how bad is it that he's saying Austin's traffic is awesome?" I'm like, "Well, I'll tell you what. One of the I look for the positive. So, you know, we got this nonsense called the pandemic. You know, believe it or not, if you want to, that's good. You know, some of the positives. I look for the good in everything. The Bible tells me, be joyful, always pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for that's God's will. It's in the book uh, Thessalonians. So I'll." the traffic has gotten so much better in the last year and now I could, it's getting back. So I, I live in Huntington beach, which is give or take 20 miles, 20, 30 miles, about 20 miles from, from the South Bay Redondo beach type of, and I work there a lot. One of my offices out there. And sometimes it would take me, you know, if I had an eight, uh, nine o'clock job, I'd have to leave at eight 30 to get there on time, 90 minutes to get 20 miles. And lately it's like when the pandemic started, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't factoring that in and I'd get there early. I'd get there an hour early. And, and it's like, now I've, I've learned to, you know, check my GPS the day before and see what we're up against. And so now it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get there, you know, little to no traffic and it's getting worse. Yeah. So I, you know, a lot of people get things. A lot of people are, um, that have been forced to work at home are finding out that it works better. So it's really changing the dynamics, you know, the, the real estate market for commercials is, is changing because they don't need all that office space, which is kind of cool. My wife's been working at home. Our living room is kind of a classroom and she goes back and forth. She can teach in her classroom and zoom or she can do it at home. So, or she can do it wherever she wants. And then now they've done a couple days. Uh, they're entertaining going back to school. So, uh, which has been different. You know, I tell her on our next anniversary, I need to add three years because we've been side by side for the last year, you know, and luckily we get along great. Yeah, man, there's so many things to talk about here and probably going to get a little more political and a little more uh, uh, maybe religious based than, than normal. So if you're listening, that bothers you too bad. So uh, <laughs> uh the pandemic, I want to kind of, I want to sit in this for a bit. It's been talked to okay. death, so I don't really want to go too crazy with it, but it, it is a conversation in our house. Okay. Is there, is there, is COVID real? Yes, I had it. It sucked. And right. I still have crap that comes out of my lungs when I cough and it's 
I'm still coughing. So yeah, it's real. Uh, where the numbers skewed, there's no way in my mind that they couldn't have been. And they're still retracting numbers. And now they don't count deaths that, you know, where someone has COVID, but that's not how the death occurred. It's just, you know, so we got all these things going on. Um, the mask thing. I've really struggled with the masking. I, I'm finally starting to get used to it. Now, a lot of people say, oh, Texas lifted its mask ban. You know, they're all going to get sick while well, our numbers are going down. Um, there's still a lot of people wearing masks and a lot of businesses wearing masks. Here's where I see the difference. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are from a state where, you know, you are mandated with them. Um, if, a, if a business gets to decide if you wear a mask or not, I'm going to respect that. I'm probably going to go more to the places where you don't have to wear a mask because I feel, I feel fine. I've had COVID. I'm, I got through it pretty easily. I don't, I know it's not a death risk for me um, or my family, but I love the choice. To me, it's all about the choice. The business has decided we're going to let you not, or we're going to force you to. And then I get to make the choice of whether I go to that business or not. How do you right. feel about that situation? I'm right on, I'm right there with you. You know, um, I know a year ago, January, um, I was sick, felt like I got hit by a truck and you know, all this, I call my doctor and he says, well, can you, can you, can you taste? And I go, yeah. yeah. And he goes, can you smell? And he goes, well, if it gets worse, come on in. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, did I have COVID back in January, 2020 before COVID was a household word? I'm, everybody wants me to get the vaccination and I'm just, I want to wait. I'm like, I'll let everybody else get it. You know, here's, here's me, my, my granddaughter, she's, she's 17. She breaks it up. My age, 57, my weight, I'm over, I'm clinically obese because I weigh 220 and I'm five, seven. Uh, I had a stroke, compromised immune system and I'm diabetic. So you would think that, but I'm out every day working and doing what I need to do. So I just say my body, my choice. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. Um, I wear a mask out of respect. I advertised uh, a little no contact picture, you know, guy with the mask on and clients like it. I like the fact that people are learning how to wash their hands and, and, and be a little more, you know, a little better hygiene. Yeah, me too. It's like, it's like um, I'm an AA. So when I go to AA, I'm, I'm not, I was, I've always been a germaphobe, especially in AA. Cause you see people like, you know, picking their nose. I seen a guy one time took his shoes off and he's, digging the toe jam out of his feet. And then when it's time to pray out, I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here. You know, so it's just, it's gotten really, really gross. Uh, so I've always kind of been a germaphobe. I like the fact that I would sanitize before and after job anyways, because I'm, you know, my job's dirty. So my, um, what my procedure before COVID is I would go out to the back of my van and I have these bleach wiped uh, and I'd clean my body. I'd clean my face. I'd sanitize. I'd take my shirt off. I'd put on a new work shirt and then I'd sanitize and then I'd wear a mask to keep the dust out. And so the only difference now is I have a mask that I wear when I knock on the door. And then, you know, some people say, I don't care. And some people are like, yeah, I wear a mask and they're sneezing and coughing all over the place. And I shaved my beard because the mask was, was, you know, rubbing a hole in me. And then I finally found one that's comfortable. It goes over, it presses down. So my glasses don't, you know, mess with it. It's got earlobes and then it's got a Velcro on the back and it's just, it's comfortable. It's got little breathers and uh, my son uses them to work out and he showed them to me. So 
So as far as wearing the mask, I'll do it, you know, to uh, when needed. But it, it just makes no sense to wear 24-7 walking outside. Right. Yeah. So my struggle, and I'll be real here, my struggle was initially with the mask is people telling me to do it. It really pissed me off. Having, pe- right. having the government say you have to do it. That was my biggest issue. When I reframed it in my mind, it's like, look, some people have compromised immune systems. Some people just live in fear and that's okay. And I'm going to, I, so I'll do it out of respect and I'll do it. You know, if someone asked me to, I'll do it. And I've really had to work hard on my mindset of like, this isn't about me at this point. It's about someone else. So I just, I was a little bit, I was a little more on the rebellious side. The government's telling me to do it and not, but once I reframed, then it's like, you know what, what does it matter? It's a little uncomfortable, but I always talking about how you need to lean under into the uncomfortable and be okay with it. <laughs> it fights my, um, my internal rebellion a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. And I said this multiple times when Jocko was asked about pandemic early on, he said, so we have the pandemic. Good. Like, what are you going to bring? What, what are you, how are you going to grow out of this situation? And I felt like it's brought a lot of growth opportunity for a lot of people. And a lot of people have become Karens as well. A lot of people, you know what I like about it? I like to see the dudes that persevere. Okay. That, that, okay, I can't turn left right now. I got to go straight. I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this work. You know, I wear it around my in-laws because they're, they're in their nineties and they're scared and I want to see them. And we're talking my in-laws. Uh, they're Colombian. So when you go to their house, 20, 25 people there, you're going to get 25 kisses. Hello, 25 hugs. And when you leave, you're going to get 25 kisses and hugs. And I miss that. I miss it. We used to have this tradition. My, well, they had a tradition. I was like grafted in where we'd go over Christmas Eve, eat, we'd wear our pajamas. We'd all eat at the house and we'd hang out, play games. And then at midnight, we'd unwrap presents and go home. And this year we didn't do it this Easter. We're not even going to see them. So that's, that's a hard part. So, so when I have no problem wearing it around them, especially inside the house, because the ventilation may not be as good, but outside or whatever, I don't find it as necessary, but I do comply. And I think honestly, if um, not to turn as political or, 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 or to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I think if president Trump would have said, I demand everybody to wear their masks, the left would have said, no, we're not doing it. You know, burn our bras type thing, my body, my choice. But when he didn't go inside and side with everybody, it became a big problem. Everybody fought him. You know, the people that hate him, hate him and they'll do, they'll do the opposite. So I thought maybe if, if he would have took a little different spin, it might've been different, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We could go down that roll rabbit hole, whether you liked him or not, whether you liked him or not, I was somewhere in the middle. I liked his policies. I didn't like how he, he didn't have that uh, presidential uh, delivery that people would accept. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent. I don't, I don't, if you're a leader, you have to lead. That is, that's job number one. But if like, if you are objective and you're really into seeing really what happened, you can look at news clips when like, here's a very clear and, um, current one. You can look at news clips when Trump asked for, it was some bill, uh, billions of dollars to improve like infrastructure and stuff in the United States. It was you know, maybe 20, 30 billion. I don't remember. Um, and the news 
the news media, you can go back and you can watch the same news media, the same reporter, this, these reporters, and they're just bashing them. Where's this money coming? It doesn't grow on trees, blah, 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 you know, and just going on and on. Just recently, um, our, our, our newest president, Biden, introduced a bill for multiple trillions doing the same type of things and the exact same news media, exact same reporters are like, this is the best thing. He really cares about America. No one's asking where the money's from. No one's shaming him. That's where you see whether you're left, right, middle, far right, far left. I don't care if you look at it in a scientific way and you, you take sample A and you take sample B, you put them side by side and you're like, whoa, something's wrong here because we have the same message coming from both these different guys and it's being delivered in completely different um, clothing. And one was a villain and one is incompetent and is the savior right now. Um, well, do you remember the, the skating rink in New York? No. Okay. So there's a skate rink in New York that was being built and it was being mismanaged and they were spending billions of dollars and nothing was getting done. And then Donald Trump came in when he was a New Yorker and said, I'm going to take the project over. And if it's not done on time, I'm going to pay for it. So this project that, that was supposed to take years, he had it done within six months. It's been making money ever since. And, and if you look at what he did to the skyline of Manhattan, turned it from what it was to what it is, they were praising him. Once he came down the escalator, it was so different. And when, you know, when he first was running, I was like, I wasn't too sure, but I was like, you know, I heard a meme that said uh, he's like a really good doctor with really bad bedside manner. That's a really great he, analogy. He's going to tell you he's going to he's going to do what's right, but he's going to he's just going to he's not going to, you know, uh, you got this or that. So the country might, you know, the country I grew up in, every every man on my dad's side, every generation on the blue side has been in the military since the Revolutionary War. So I trace this all back all the way, you know, pre-U.S., you know, Revolutionary War on up to the, to, you know, my grandson, he's kind of a step-grandson. Uh, I forget what part of the Army he's in, but he's out in Virginia, so he got to do the 21-gun salute for Biden when he got inaugurated. I think that's the, I think that's the missing piece here is, is respect. Now, you know, um, they hold the office, and they got it through a process, and there's a level of respect that you just have to keep. I, and this is my message to men, whether you completely just like, if you're fuming mad right now, it's something I said, that's here's, here's the way I see it. If you, you cannot, um, offense cannot be given. It can only be taken. So if you're taking offense, that's on you, man. Like you don't have to take anything I say for anything, but if you want to be a man who like displays values to your family, respect the office no matter who's in it and that's what we lost when when trump was in office if you hated him if you loved him it doesn't matter the office started to be disrespected and then we've started this really bad direction now where the 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 office isn't being respected in return because it was so disrespected for through trump's pre presidency and now what's everybody going to do that was on the receiving side of that in their mind they're going to turn around and disrespect the, the, the office now, which is, it's really sad. It's really bad. Well, my, my, pretty much my adult life, whenever I had my own place, I always had a 
eight by 10 picture of the president framed and hanging on my wall. And I had friends come over, you know, and clown on me because of Obama. I'm like, he's our president. You know, I don't care if you like him or not. I'm not going to, it's not political. He's our president. And right. then when I got pictures of Trump up there, it, it got bad, you know, and, uh, and I haven't yet put a Biden picture up there because I'm not sure if I should just buy, put Biden or Kamala. But uh, <laughs> joke is, it, it? yeah, it, it's bad. And the thing that I didn't like was I think that uh, once again, whether they hate you or not, hate them or not, Trump didn't get the honeymoon of the presidency. You never seen him on the magazines. They disrespected his wife, who was, speaks what six, seven languages fluently. She's the epitome of the American dream. Incredibly bright. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, it was just really sad, and um, man, I had something I wanted to say, and I and I completely, completely forgot what it was. But that's part of being being my age. But the the uh, oh, do you remember my first post on the Brotherhood? I probably will if you remind me. It was it was it was basically my belief. I had a picture of an umbrella. Yeah, I do. I to, oh yeah, okay. we got some kickback on that one. And I just you know, at first I was, and I'm like biting my tongue. You know, I don't have. To, this is my belief. Yep. And I just let it go. And then, and then when you contact me, say, I'm going to pull it because it's just, I got it. I wasn't mad. I understood. I, I, you know, I mistakenly just thought everybody had the same belief in me and they go, Oh, it's golden. And for some people who don't believe in God, it's not golden. It's, 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 you know, it's not, you know, not everybody believes in God that I, like I do. Well, and that, that's my, that's, you know, there's an arc, which through we pass and, and he's a cornerstone of what I believe. Right. And it's really worked for me before I believed in the God of Kevin, my life was a nightmare. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm in the same circle, man. I, I, like I saw that post, I thought it was awesome. And, and then I started getting grief and here's, here's, I've made some personal shifts in how I run the, 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 um, the group since then. So I pulled it just because I'm like, I, I don't have the, um, emotional space for this right now. Like, like I'm like, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a key keyboard smasher when that stuff starts to happen and I get myself in trouble. What I've decided is like, look, people are going to have different views, different beliefs, and I'm going to respect them for where they are, but I'm going to hold fast to what I believe. And, and so <clears throat> that one was a lot about, you know, your, your hierarchy, as I call it, your ladder of, of um, values, God first. And, and then the man's role in a family and I'm, I'm a very firm believer that believer that we are the leader of the family. It's actually a question to get into the brotherhood now, or do you consider yourself the leader of the family? And uh, so I, I loved it. I thought it was great, but <clears throat> I think we have to live on principles, not on feelings. And a lot of people are living on feelings right now. They're like, I right. don't like Trump. Like who cares? Like, I don't like, I didn't like my boss the last, you know, three, three jobs ago, who cares? I, I, he was providing what I needed provided at the time. No one needed to hear about it. That's on me. I think we need to get way more, way more into the, the type of um, mindset that we control our response and, and we don't need to flush all of our, our concerns and feelings on everybody else. Like we speak what we believe yeah. is one true. Thing I learned, Go ahead. One thing I learned in recovery is uh, reaction versus response. Mm -hmm. 
you know, what's your response, what's your reaction? Because um, for me, AA 12 steps was, was my, uh, was that crash course that I should have paid attention to in kindergarten, you know, be nice to other people and uh, do this, do that. And, you know, be respectful. I was given an imaginary hula hoop when I got re into recovery. Some guy walked up to me and he went like this. I'm like, what the heck? And he goes, sit still. I go, what are you doing? He goes, I just gave you a hula hoop. It's, it's around your body. I go, okay. What do I do with it? He goes, you only worry about what gets inside your hula hoop. And I was like, and he'd come up to me like this. He goes, it stops there, dude. Because I was, you know, I like to, I like to gossip. I like to, I like to be the, you know, uh, the guy that would pick out things that bothered me and other people, which was things that I was really doing. And I'm by no means perfect. You know, I try to be the best Kevin, the best husband, the best dad, the best stepdad, the best grandpa I could be today. And then tomorrow, now I got that bar. I just keep going up. You know, it's like, it's really cool having all my grandkids just, just love me, you know, love me. I had grandparents. I had on my dad's side were kind and loving on my mom's side. They weren't. And I, I later found out what probably motivated them. But, but you know, my grandma on my mom's side, I'll just say it, she was a bitch. She was mean. And my grandma on my dad's side was nice and loving. And she gave uh, everybody the illusion that you were her favorite. So that's the goal I try to. I remember about four years old. I have a very good long-term memory. I remember four, maybe five years old, thinking to myself, when I'm a grandpa, I'm never going to be like that guy. You know, and, and so I've, I've, you know, my grandkids, I get to pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's such a good lesson is learn from the past. Don't repeat the past things that don't, don't show them or, you know, this happened to me, so you deserve it too. But I want to go back to the hula hoop because it's a, it's a concept that Josh and I have talked about, like, till we're red in the face early in the brotherhood days is when we talk about marriage, like, you know, draw a line or a circle around yourself. And that's what you're concerned with when it comes to your marriage, because if you work on you, your marriage will be better. And I love the, the analogy that the crazy guy at AA, you know, he's like just doing this instead of telling you, um, but it left a mark on you, right? Like, Hey, it, it very much. So yeah, you as a listener may not agree with Kevin. You may not agree with me on our political, on our religious and, and like, look, is that inside of your control? Absolutely not. Work on what's inside of your control, your own beliefs, work on like being more understanding of why you have those beliefs, where they come from, prove it to yourself. If, if you're questioning, you absolutely must. Um, and if you want help, you ask other people, you bring them because you have that control to bring them into your, your thought control, your thought patterns. And so when we are keyboard warriors, someone says something we don't like or don't agree with, you're jumping out of your hoop. And, and basically punching people in the face and trying to drag them into your hoop. And uh, right. yeah, it's just like, hey, look, we're not all going to see eye to eye. And really what people are going to buy into is the way you live. Bottom Right. Line. For me, for the people who might listen to this and, and still listening, you know, to the, to the entirety that don't like what I say or what I believe on the outside of the hula hoop, know this, that family is first. My moral compass is directed toward God. And being more Christ-like. Some people do basketball and they want to be like Mike. I want to be Christ-like. I fall short daily. I'm not here to convert you, but I am here to share the gospel if anybody wants it. But I'm not, I'm not the main street Moses hitting you over the head with the Bible telling you turn or burn, because that's not going to work. Yeah. But but family in my life is first. And the same thing with the hula hoop. 
is my wife and I are equally yoked. It's, a, it's something that they talk about in the Bible. We're side by side. I've never been with anybody in my life that has loved me like my wife does. Right. It's like, I feel like a teenager. She's what I've been looking for my whole life. And she says the same about me when she tells me things, because I'm usually you're a piece of this, you're worthless. You're, and you know what? My wife prays over me. I pray over her when we leave every day. She gives me permission to represent the family. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's golden. I can send you later. I'll send you a text that she sent to me when I was um, on vacation, how she prays over me. And it's funny when I met her, she was cat her. I met her online and her profile said Catholic. It's not, hey, what's that about? You know, just, I was super Christian. And, uh, <laughs> and she laid it down how she believes. So now today I, I, I identify as half Catholic. I'm half Catholic. You know, sometimes I'll watch Catholic mass and, and we go to church every morning and we're members of our church and we do things with the church. And it's like, my church family is the best tree house. You know, it's, it's the tree house theory. You know, I'm, I'm invited into the club and I, and I feel happy with that. Yeah. Uh, my last two guests ago was talking about um, uh, Sean, Sean Rowan. He was talking about how his wife is his best friend. And if that isn't the case, like you really need to work on getting there because it's an incredible, you said it, you know, you feel like you're a teenager. Like that's how I feel too. My wife is my absolute best friend and there's so much freedom. There's so much excitement and fun in that. And I think that's a missing key in a lot of marriages is they forget that that's really what it's all about. My wife lets me go on adventures. You know, I get to go all across this beautiful country. If I want to go see somebody, I, you know, being in AA, we went to Akron and uh, we were going to go to Akron and then we we're going to go to the inauguration. And it just got, you know, we planned this trip a year ago. So when it didn't turn out the way we liked and, and we thought that it might be crazy, you know, uh, politically uh, not a good idea. So we just skipped on the inauguration, but she's, she's let me go all over and, she lets me do this a lot. Yeah, it's, that's trust me. The, that equal that equal trust is so important. And yeah. we have to prove that we're trust. I mean, we shouldn't have to, but we should every day act in a way that is trustworthy, right? So exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's the, here's a, a few questions I have for you. You're a business owner and business owners aren't, they're, they're, they're cut from a different cloth. I know I, I, I'm one. But what drives you? What drove you to be to do your own business and what drives you every day? Because we all know all of those that have built our own businesses, it is not a uh, bump free ride. Every day is a new disaster that you are working through or, you know, it's, it's not what some people make it to be. So what, what is it that drives you? Well, I've always been in business for myself since I was 18. I was never good at it. Ray Kroc says he's an overnight success, 30 years in the making. You ever watch a show called How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. Okay, you know Lily's father? Um, I forget what his name is, the redheaded guy. Yep. His, he's always inventing games. He's just crazy games. He's just, you know, uh, just uh, one was called like dumpster or something like that. So I kind of relate to that. I was always having these crazy kind of freaking mad scientist schemes that just won't work. And I tried to be a carpet cleaner, but everybody around me was a carpet cleaner. And, and it was just like, you can go to the phone book and see 30 carpet cleaners. And I just couldn't make a cut at it. As I got sober, my, my father bought me, my, my father bought me a bunch of carpet cleaning equipment because of my stuff got stolen. So when I got sober, I had this equipment that was probably 10 years old and never been used. 
So I was able to jump back into the carpet cleaning business and a man named San Martin, who owned this business called All Clean, introduced me to air duct and dryer vent cleaning. And at first I was against it, but then I started getting into it. And, and I remember when I started my August 3rd, 2001, I started my air duct cleaning business and people thought I was crazy. They thought this will never work. And, you know, and I honestly should have went out of business in 2007, eight and nine, but I was too stubborn. And the only thing that really kept me was the same phone number. I've had the same number since, since I started a toll free number. So when all that nonsense of the 2007 and eight was over, my was, my number was the only working phone number. And then all of a sudden I went from doing 10 jobs a year to doing 10 jobs a day. And now my company is the premier air duct driving cleaning company. I, I have a challenge to anybody that does what I do. I am the champion in my industry. And I'll, I challenge that against anybody because in that slow time, I was getting certifications. I've got so many certifications in cleaning. It's, it, it would make your head spin, but the only two that make me work are the air duct and driving cleaning. There's so many carpet cleaners and tile cleaners and floor cleaners and spot cleaners. I just couldn't make money at it right now. My business card used to look like a help wanted ad. It had everything I did on it. And it was just confusing. And somebody goes, what do you, where are you, where are you making money at? And when I told him that, so now I do air duct slash driving and cleaning. So yeah, and, uh, you bring up a few things. You bring up a few things. You held fast during the massive economic upturn, 2007, 2008. Uh, we just had COVID. I'm sure things. Why is that? Well, back then I tried, I couldn't even get a job at Walmart or Target due to the wreckage of my past. And that saved me because if, if that would have been the case, I'd still be a greeter today. Hey, welcome to Walmart. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, it just, I couldn't even get a job at that. So that kept me moving on. It kept me moving on. I had lost my house. I lost my cars. I lost everything I had in storage. I abandoned my work van at a house that was taken from me. Well, it wasn't taken from me. I couldn't pay for it. So they, they asked for it back, but nobody rented or anything. And I went back to school and got a Pell Grant and it took me three semesters to get money. So 5,300 times three, I got, I got a check for 15 grand. I drove by and my van was still there. I got in, fired it up. I registered it. That was kind of my saving grace. All my equipment was in it. And, and I just kind of walked away. I'm reading a book uh, by Sean Whalen where he's talking about that, that time where he walked away from everything. And I got, and I, I, I related, I walked away from everything. And then it was like, when I came back and started back up, I got back in business. People thought I was crazy. And within two years, I was, you know, doing over a hundred grand a year working part-time. Yeah. And that's a, such a good lesson. You didn't have a, an exit plan. You didn't have an exit option because of your past. And I think right. that's a really good lesson for business owners. Cause I watch a lot of business owners bail when things get tough and because they have an exit plan, they're like, I'm going to go work in corporate, or I'm going to go back to having a job with somebody. I know personally that it, that's a personal hell. Once you've ran your own business usually is like, Oh, that's horrible. But just that option. And so I kind of feel like the, the Cortez story, it's, it, you know, burn your boats. Like they were going to take that Island and it's like, no, burn the boats. We're not going to turn around. We are going to conquer. If we don't, we have no way out. And, and that was amazing. That was an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, you know, the burn the boats is really good for, for people like me and entrepreneurs who haven't burned their boats. Well, I've seen the ones that keep a boat at dock and then they exit when there could have been massive upside, like you've had with your business, your business thrived. It saw a growth point. 
and you're working part-time and you're making an incredible living for yourself and your family, there was no exit. And you didn't choose to burn the boats. It was just part of your, <laughs> part of your right. past. But I think it's a good lesson for folks that have boats at bay, like dump them. Like, you know, um, I, I've, I've been this guy jumping back and forth from, from land to boat and um, I burned my boat. I just, I, you know, a few months ago, I burned a boat and there's a ton of freedom in there. And guess what? You have no choice but to succeed when you burn your boats. Well, when my, when I was evicted and my, and I, my storage was sold and my truck was repoed, it was the most freeing time I ever had. I remember when I first got sober and I would say, I can't wait till I get my shit together. And somebody with a little more time to say, you know what happens when you get your shit together? And I go, what? He goes, you got a big pile of shit. <laughs> so when all that was taken from me, you know, um, we lost the house. I still had the truck. I'm driving away. I'm, I got my grandkids in the car because their father was uh, away and I was taking care of it. my granddaughter. You know, I'm, I'm crying. And my granddaughter, Papa, can I make the sign? Like, what are you talking about? She goes, Papa, can I make the sign? And I look back and go, what are you talking about? She's four, like, you know, maybe five. What are you talking about, sweetie? And she goes, we're homeless. Can I make the sign? And I just like chuckled. And I said, we're not that homeless. You know, we're not there yet. And it gave me kind of a, kind of like, oh yeah, you know, left of my own devices, the pity party invitations went out. I was like, poor me. Everybody's picking on me. Don't you know? And um, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And so it gave me kind of like, I'm not there yet. And it, and it gave me, uh, you know, I was able to get a job working at Petco washing dogs. And uh, I did that for a couple of years. I went back to school. I got my AA in, in, in uh, speaking, public speaking, and uh, never used it. But it, it kept me busy for those two years when, when you know, Keeping that phone number was the hardest thing. There's times when I didn't have the $10, you know, and it, it would lapse. And then on the third month, I'd own $30 to owe, to owe that, to keep that line going. And that was, that was, you know, there is times when I, I, I was like, do I eat today or do I make this bill? And I'd make that bill. And now it's like, um, I see the rewards, you know, I like to pass out business cards or, or flyers on houses. And I remember I said to myself, there's going to be a time and place when I'll look back at this and be thankful for the investment I put in. Yeah. It's like as Sean Whalen's talking about the elephant, you know, it's one bite at a time. Absolutely. It is one bite at a, at a time. I mean, you've shown incredible perseverance in the little things that mattered. Um, I also like the story of losing pretty much losing everything, but then having that like aha moment from your granddaughter, like, no, I haven't lost everything. And right. Yeah. That's um, an incredibly important thing to look at as many men will feel that way and have those little, um, pity parties, you know, the, what would you say in, in, invitations to the pity party or whatever? I, the invitations were out, you know, like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I love to read and I'm reading, I'm reading that book by Sean and he's talking about, he'll, he'll never forget the taste of the gun and the oil in his mouth. Oh, wow. And I may have never got there, but I don't forget where I came from. I never forget that, you know, that, that, you know, the sheriff coming, kicking me out, you know, leaving everything behind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I don't want to go there again. It, and it taught me disciplines. It taught me that, that, you know, cause I could do one air duct and, and, you know, if it's a big enough job, you're making anywhere, you know, from 
700 to two grand and it's, and it's a day's work. And that would hold me off for the whole month. And I'd get maybe one of those. As I got back into it, I learned to throw, I was, I was, I learned to live on very little. So I was throwing anywhere from 90% of my, my income back into my business, you know, living off, I was getting paid last. When people say that, I totally get that. You know, oh, yeah. I, 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 I get that. And so I don't want to live that way again. No, I've done that. It's not a good way to run a business. Um, yeah, and I think I want to I, I want to sit in this uh, using your past as as a learning experience because I I once posted this thing is like you know what are you it, it was something about moving forward like continue fail forward and a couple people responded about how it's it's dangerous to forget the past and I was like yeah but there's a massive difference between using your past as experience because you know, no one super successful has never failed. It's just it's right. not, it's not in the equation. You have to fail to reach success, but the, but there's a massive difference between using your past to propel you and using your past as a um, pacifier or, uh, you know, a, a lot of guys will do that and they'll just sit in it and replay it and sit in it yeah. and replay it instead of like using it for fuel. I think there's a massive difference in success based on those types of responses. Well, for me, it was uh, big book of AA. They talk about don't regret the past, nor should you shut the door on it. You know, and uh, when I got sober, if I would have got little a little notebook of of all the things that's going to happen in my life, you know, up to we'll just say first twenty years, bad things in red, and and the good things, you know, not highlighted. If I would have looked at the things that would have happened, I probably would have said, "No, I'm going to stay in my shit." Yep. And, and I didn't, you know, I'm glad that I didn't. Yep. So I do not regret the past, nor was to shut the door on. The problem with my past is I used to speak victimese. I used to be the victim. Mom loved brother best, last pick to kickball. Um, you know, just whatever excuse I could find to, to take away the way I felt. And I don't have to be that way now. So I remember just going through some of those experiences as a kid and realizing that those don't define me. Like, I don't need to sit in that and act that same way. I was a kid, <laughs> like, you know, um, it's, it's just different. And some guys just never get past the kid. Right. You know, one of the beauties of Facebook is connecting with my friends from elementary school. And Kevin's got an impersonation of who Kevin thought he was in kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And my friends say, oh, you were the coolest dude. You did this. You did that. Oh, you, you know, you had, you know the way they think about me and, and the way I felt about myself is completely different. You know, in AA, we do a thing called amends. And whenever anybody has made an amends with me, I don't remember the stuff that they said they did. You know, it, it, it doesn't affect me the same way as, as, as the way it, you know, they did this and I don't even remember it, but it bothered them so bad. They drank over it or that it kept them oppressed. And I'm the same way when I'd made amends, they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Are you sure that so, yeah, so we got a, we got a thing called keep our side of the street clean. So that's where I'm at now. I got the street sweeper out. I keep my side of the street clean, but also my, my sponsor's name's easy. Ramos. Ed Ramos is, is part of this group as well. And he says, uh, he always called me partner and it's like, yeah, but if you have a pile of poop and you take a shovel and you scoop up your side, but you leave the other side, you still got the smell. So sometimes you have to do a little more work than just keeping the side of the street clean. I'm very blessed that. Ed Ramos has, 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 I met him a year after my dad passed in 99 and he's been my, he's been a father figure to me in a lot of ways. 
It's, it's, he's really God, you know, God, God threw him into my life at a perfect time. And, you know, the things I found out about my earthly father in the last two years has, has just blown me away. And it's really defined uh, in a good way. You know, I found out that uh, he's not my dad. Hmm. I did a DNA test and, and I found out that, that Billy Blue is not my father. And I uh, found out that I'm a product of rape. And I found out that my father, Billy Blue, never told me, never let me once know. My mom never let me once know. So, you know, product great people think that, oh, if that happened to me, I'd abort it. Well, I'm glad my parents didn't. I'm glad, you know, I found out more about Billy Blue in the last two years than I thought I ever knew. And uh, the sad part is, is when I look in the mirror, I'd always say the best compliment is looking in the mirror and seeing my father's. And, and people still say I look like him. And then my son, Mitchell, at 15 years old, found out that I'm not his father. So now I can, on, at that time, I could not understand what he went through. And now I do. And the funniest thing is when uh, Mitchell found out that my dad wasn't my dad, biologically, he's like, grandpa's not my grandpa. And I'm like, dude, grandpa's still your grandpa. My dad was never biologically his grandfather. And he knew that. So, yeah, yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool story. I mean, I'm sure that it hit you hard at first i would i can imagine it would be really difficult it, it, yeah it's 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 like it still hurts yeah. but um and i think it i think i learned it at the right time if i would have learned it earlier in my addiction it would have been a weapon it would have been another you know cloak of invisibility for me to not get sober yeah. so you know god doing for me what i can't do for myself he obviously knew exactly the right time and it hurt and it still hurts because i feel i feel ripped off but honestly you know, my dad died in my arms telling me he loves me. So, yep. So, you know, and yeah, yeah. But I, it's weird finding out that I got at least 12 half siblings out there. Wow. And then the best part is I, I met uh, my, I call her my half sister, first cousin from New York, Debbie. She we're connected on DNA. And I actually went to New York to, to, to New York to visit her. And, and we've been really good friends. And I tell her this is the best thing that I got out of the DNA was her because she's such a great person yeah now she's she's from brooklyn she's you know she's lives in joysy she's got a little she's got a little attitude but you know what she's feisty and i love her yeah that's what i need that comes with that territory man i have yet to meet someone from there that hasn't been like that and you just gotta love it you gotta love it i mean i just learned to appreciate i live in boston in the the massachusetts area so the boston the boston thing too it's the same thing you just gotta learn to love it um but that is so cool it's all about what good can come out of everything. And that is definitely something good that came out of that. And plus no, no DNA can strip amazing memories and um, the things that your non-biological father did to raise you as a father. And I also think, man, what a gift to be able to connect with your non-biological kids based on that same situation where they've gone through this, where they're going through the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's helped a lot. Um, it really has, you know, I just, you know, uh, Kylie and well, my, my oldest sons, they have two half brothers that, that would call me dad and Scott and James are older. You know, they, they knew I was their dad, but I, I visit, you know, I take them with us when we do stuff and, and we have relationships. They've gotten older. James is in Germany and Scott's in New Jersey. And, uh, but that relationship's cool as well. Yeah. I think it just prepped me for, for what I was going to find out about myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, Kevin, it's been really cool talking to you about uh, 
perseverance, how it's like, what it's like to live in California during a pandemic. Uh, you know, your thoughts on, on politics, the office. I really liked having the talk, talk about respecting the office. Um, all of these things have been incredible. Thank you for joining us. Oh, no problem. You know, my pastor, Joe Fury, he's the one, one that pointed out my quality of perseverance because he saw me go through peaks and valleys. Yep. And he goes, man, you hold your, you know, I've been told I hold my mud well. And, and he's pointed out that I have the gift of perseverance. So, I uh, you know, today I'm a minister of recovery, re recovery and re reconciliation. I used to be the guy that was uninvited to weddings and funerals, and now I get to perform them. So that's how God is in my life. That's cool. Thanks a lot, brother. I really appreciate your time. Scott, thank you so much. Be blessed to be safe. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.